Today it was announced that a former Hitman developer has been hired to work on Crisis 4. It's an unlikely marriage, but sometimes bringing in an outsider results in some of the very best games. Good morning, good Thursday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for May 5th, 2022. If you prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or work out before you start your day, Head to patreon.com sifted and pledge at $4 or more per month. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else with a few ads. You can find a four days delayed feed of our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. There are matches made in heaven, and then there are some that don't make as much sense. And unless Crisis 4 is going to be completely different from the first three Crisis games, the Hitman 3 game director joining Crytek to lead development of the game doesn't seem to make much sense. Well, unless you dig a little deeper anyway. So while Matthias Engstrom was one of the lead developers on Agent 47's latest sortie, he also worked on Far Cry 3 and Assassin's Creed Revelations before that. At the very least, he should provide a new perspective on EA's bionic first-person shooter franchise. It's been nine years since Crisis 3, so maybe he's actually the perfect fit. This is not something new. Studios have been hiring people that you may think are square pegs trying to fit into round holes for a really, really long time. Probably one of the best examples of someone completely foreign to a genre working on a new genre and making something pretty incredible is Metroid Prime, the original Metroid Prime for GameCube. Retro Studios was a brand new studio at the time, and Nintendo had kind of felt that it wasn't the best at developing first-person games. Its niche was developing third-person character-based games. And so it started this new studio, Retro Studios, conceivably to handle what was quickly becoming a dominant genre in the industry that Nintendo had very little experience working on. Well, Retro Studios' history has been well documented, and the early days were extremely rocky. Retro pitched, I believe, three different games to Nintendo that it wanted to work on, and Nintendo gave the green light to, I think, two of them, and then checked in on the games, and they were progressing as Nintendo had wanted them to. And Nintendo just basically said, you know what? We want to make the new Metroid first person, and you're the studio that's going to do it. And so Retro put all its other projects aside and started working in earnest on Metroid Prime. And then the day came where Miyamoto decided to show up and check out the progress of the new Metroid game, and he was dismayed, to say the least. Retro employees have described the day he came there as like Darth Vader visiting the Death Star. Essentially, Miyamoto just turned over the tea table. He rolled up his sleeves and started working with Retro on the game. And what we got was one of the greatest games of that generation. A game, by the way, that really has not been copied to this day. Remember, Metroid Prime looks like a first-person shooter, but it's really not. It has an auto-lock aiming system, so you don't have to actually manually aim. And it may sound stupid or juvenile, until you play it and you realize that the whole game was designed around that idea and the fact that you could automatically lock onto enemies 
is a necessity and not some semblance of training wheels that players would need to be able to play through the game. The game was built with that concept in mind. Again, tremendous results with Metroid Prime, and again, a game that still has not been copied. The opposite happened at Guerrilla Games. Guerrilla Games had worked on the Killzone franchise for years and years, and out of nowhere, it decided to work on a little game called Horizon Zero Dawn. When we first heard that Guerrilla was working on an open world action RPG, we thought the worst. We assumed the worst anyway. It's very rare that a studio that creates first person shooters can branch out into what is honestly one of the most difficult genres to create, the open world action RPG. And it absolutely knocked it out of the park. Now I will say this, you do not see a lot of echoes of Guerrilla's prior work in the Horizon franchise. In fact, guns don't even exist in the Horizon franchise. Instead, you use a bow. But even using the bow, there aren't a lot of familiar tones that have transferred over from the Killzone franchise into the Horizon franchise. But nevertheless, a studio that had little to no experience working in a genre takes on a genre for the first time and does, in fact, find some unique twists on it. For example, the whole trapping mechanic that is in the Horizon franchise. I do not know if an open world RPG would have ever done something like that if it weren't Guerrilla developing one of those games. Going back even farther, Epic Games went from creating puzzle games and platformers for its entire existence to Unreal in 1998. After its success by focusing on the multiplayer component, Epic became a shooter-exclusive developer within two years. And just recently has kind of broken out of that mold, but not really. Its biggest game is still a shooter, Fortnite. Then there's Ubisoft Montpellier. It went from developing Rayman games to creating Zombie U for the launch of the Wii U. And not surprisingly, it had a new twist in what was becoming a rote game type. EA's DICE Studio had worked on first-person shooters for years and went out of its comfort zone for the stylized first-person parkour game Mirror's Edge. While it wasn't a smashing success, it's still unlike anything else many years later. In a time where it feels like games are really becoming formulaic, innovation seems to be an afterthought anymore. It's more about looking at the data, what the kids are into, what is going to retain their interest over an extended period of time and keep them in your ecosystem to keep spending money. We need people like Matthias Engstrom who are breaking out of their comfort zone, working on teams that may seem alien to them and hopefully imparting those teams in the games that they work on with something unique and different. So I am all about this. I am 10 times more excited for Crisis 4 now than I was before. And I'm just hoping that once again, that an odd couple can make an amazing game. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. A couple weeks ago, Bloomberg reported that the Guimont family was possibly looking to sell its stake in Ubisoft. But new reporting today indicates the exact opposite. According to Deal Reporter, the family that has run the publisher since founding it in 1986 is looking to partner with a private equity firm to keep Ubisoft from being acquired. The Guimont family currently owns just 16% of all Ubisoft shares, so the deal would have to be a big one. We'll keep our eye on this story as it appears to change by the week. It's no secret that Call of Duty Vanguard has been a sales disappointment for Activision. It has tried everything to revive interest, including week-long free trials, which is unprecedented for the franchise. 
Today we finally got a glimpse at what Activision believes is the real culprit for its poor performance. World War II. That's right. The publisher is blaming the game's setting on a lack of interest from players. Never mind that some of the best-selling Call of Duty games ever shared that same exact setting. Now, to be fair, the company also cites a lack of innovation as one of the issues, but let's be honest, that's the real issue. Well, in conjunction with nasty allegations of sexual harassment and sexual discrimination in the workplace. The crazy part is the game is still one of the best-selling from 2021. Stakes are high with Call of Duty. Marvel's Midnight Suns has been raided in Australia. It appears the game was closer than we thought to hitting its initial release date in March. It's been six months since we've received any sort of update on it. If a ratings board currently has possession of code, it means this XCOM clone, loaded with Marvel characters, is feature complete and nearing completion. We're not counting on anything at this point, which could make it a pleasant surprise for the end of 2022. If there's one surprise smash hit from the last few years, it has to be Genshin Impact. While we played it for a couple days when it released, we're definitely in the minority. It has become a phenomenon, even bigger than we ever imagined. The iOS and Android versions of the action RPG are currently generating 1 billion USD every six months. And their monthly active users have increased 44% year over year. That is mind-boggling. The mobile version alone has already amassed over 3 billion in total revenue. Imagine if this figure included revenue from both the PlayStation and PC versions. It's absolutely killing it in China and Japan, but it's not doing too shabby in the US either. We just mentioned Marvel's Midnight Suns, but it's not the only XCOM clone in the news today. Warhammer 40k Demon Hunters reviews were published today, and it's earning surprisingly high review scores. Its Metacritic average is currently sitting at an 81, but it's the praise in the reviews that really stands out. Many are calling it one of the best Warhammer 40k video games ever made, and several reviews cite the story as something that makes it stand out from most turn-based strategy games. Every single critic agrees that if you're a fan of 40k, it absolutely should not be missed. Here's something you may not be aware of. Once upon a time, Arcane Studios built a Half-Life game to pitch to Valve. Arcane, if you don't remember, is a studio behind immersive sims like Dishonored and Prey, which oddly enough, seems like a pretty good fit for Valve's long dormant franchise. Well, unless you count VR anyway. Called Ravenholm, the pitch is fleshed out enough that there's over an hour of it to play. Huge chunks of the game were shown off by Noclip today after first reporting on it two years ago. Arcane is hoping to preserve its work in some way so it won't be lost forever. The game ceased development in 2008, so it certainly looks crude by today's standards. You can find the footage in your SIFs. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I discuss topics that may or may not be related to video games. Today was May 4th, which is a huge day for Star Wars announcements because it's freaking Star Wars Day. <laughs> 
While we thought we might get a first look at Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2, it was not meant to be. Instead, we got the announcement for the next batch of DLC for LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. The Bad Batch Character Pack, the Rogue One Character Pack, the Mandalorian Season 1 and Season 2 Character Packs, the Solo Character Pack, the Trooper Character Pack, and the Classic Character Pack, shoo, are all available now. That's a lot of DLC for a game that's fairly young, so while today was a relatively weak installment in Star Wars Day for video games, it was not the case in other pop culture mediums. There's really no denying that Star Wars is bigger than ever, but it doesn't seem like it's as big with kids of recent generations as it was for mine. Now, don't get me wrong, I've bought my fair share of Grogu merch for the cavalcade of nieces and nephews I have, but their fandom doesn't seem to burn as deep. Me and my friends lived through the original trilogy. If you had walked into our bedrooms or toy rooms back then, you would have thought Star Wars was the only IP that existed. We measured each other up by the number of Star Wars figurines we each had, along with the massive playsets and ships that came along with them. It was also 100% kids back then. While our parents took us to see the movies, they were not huge fans. They definitely weren't buying the toys or anything else. Now my nieces and nephews dutifully put together the Star Wars Lego sets that I buy them and put them on their shelves, but I never see them actually playing with Star Wars toys. I never see them with a ship in their hand, flying it through the living room, making the ship sounds and the blaster sounds. I, I don't see them doing that stuff. I never see them talking about Star Wars the way my friends and I did when we were kids, wondering about the mysteries and hypothesizing how Han Solo could possibly survive being encased in carbonite. My nephews spend a lot of time with Hot Wheels stuff or remote-controlled toys like cars or helicopters. They also spend a lot of time on phones or tablets playing corny Flash games or on their Switches playing Fortnite or Mario Kart. They don't play with action figures all that much, but when they do, it seems to be superheroes like Spider-Man or the Avengers. My nieces play with dolls like Barbie. I know it's cliche, but that's what they want, and that's what they drag around with them from place to place. It almost feels like most of the young kids I know say they like Star Wars because they think they're supposed to like it, not because they're obsessed with it like I was at their age. And what really hit me today, Star Wars Day, is that it's not for a lack of trying. Disney has exploded Star Wars products in a way I never could have imagined as a kid. We were basically stuck with whatever Kenner made back then because it had a chokehold on the license. Some of the products were good and some weren't, but Star Wars has reached a sixth or seventh gear in the last five years. There are so many films, TV shows, and products to consume that it can almost be overwhelming. I know I've lost the ability to keep up and I'm an OG, dyed-in-the-wool Star Wars nerd. Today alone, a Lego-fied Luke Skywalker land speeder was released, along with the Ahsoka Tano Legacy lightsaber hilts, a hooded cape and dress inspired by Ahsoka Tano, bags and accessories from Vera Bradley, a new line of candles, new Star Wars bedding, and so much more. Then we get to Disney's big announcements. A second trailer for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show was released with a good look at Hayden Christensen's return as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader and Ewan McGregor as the titular hero. Of course, it looks amazing. And best of all, its six episodes start streaming on May 27th in just a few weeks. To be honest, I'm way behind on Disney Plus shows. I tend to wait until all the episodes are released and then get a subscription for a month and binge all the shows. For example, I still haven't seen a single episode of The Book of Boba Fett. 
But it really seems to me that most hardcore Star Wars fans these days are actually adults. And the data backs this up. In a recent study from 2019, 63% of people polled between the ages of 30 and 44 stated that they were fans of Star Wars. That number dips to 55% with the 18 to 29 demographic, and it just gets smaller from there. The bottom line is that there's never been a better time to be a Star Wars fan. Disney is drip-feeding new content at a near-perfect pace. There's more merch and toys than one person could ever possibly buy. And so far, all of it has been of high quality. But the fact remains that while I've struggled to grow out of Star Wars, I've watched the kids in my family struggle to grow into it. Are the shows and films being targeted towards my age group instead of theirs? And if so, is that a smart strategy? After all, it won't be long, and people like me will be shuffling off this mortal coil, and I wonder if there's another wave of rabid fans that will take our place and keep the IP on its toes. One thing's for sure, I'm confident that I'll have more than enough of the IP to keep me occupied until my days are done. And I sincerely hope that the fourth was with you. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're at it, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. The show will be back tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another.